Welcome back to Buzzword. Buzzword! This is part two of The Little Mermaid. I don't know why <laughs> she said it like that, uh, but that is... In the who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Not Jean Valjean. What do you mean, who am I? Well, I'm Allison Abraham, and I'm the <laughs> co-director of the Edom Claw Drama Department, and you are... Juliet. Just Juliet. <laughs> it's Juliet. Okay. Remember when I said we had to get this done in less than 30 minutes? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, so if you are listening, then hopefully you heard the episode before, which was part one of The Little Mermaid. And we are back today uh, to finish that story with our guest stars and our cast from before. But we will have them introduce themselves quickly uh, one more time. Because we do have a couple new voices in here. So here we go with our cast for part two of The Little Mermaid. Hey, my name's Emma R. Which is really not. It's Juliet. But I will be playing <laughs> Emma R's part because there's power outages all over the city. And I'm standing in for her. And I will also be doing the sound effects. Um, she's playing the grandmother, which she neglected to say. But now you know. I'm playing Emma R. Oh. Playing yeah. the grandmother. There. Perfect. And we need to stay under 30 minutes, so Great. let's keep Kaya. going, Allison. Kaya, it's your turn. Um, hi, I'm Kaya Albright. Um, I'm a sophomore, and I will be playing the role of the youngest sister, and that was Shay Shaylin Shook's part. Hi, my name is Isaac Zoltero. I'm a freshman at EHS, and I'll be playing the Sea Witch. Hi, I'm Mercer. I'm a junior at EHS, and I will be playing the Prince. Hi, my name's Emma Fair. I'm a senior at the high school, and I will be playing sister number one. Hi, my name is Chloe Andrade. I'm a freshman at EHS, and I'll be playing sister two. And I am Gunnar Argo. I teach English at Enumclaw High School, and I will be your narrator. And it's me again. It's Allison. I will be playing Daughters of the Air. So here we go. This is The Little Mermaid Part Dose. Part two. Then the Little Mermaid went out from her garden and took the road to the foaming whirlpools, behind which the sorceresses lived. She had never been that way before. Neither flowers nor grass grew there. Nothing but bare, gray, sandy ground stretched out to the whirlpool, where the water, like foaming mill wheels, seized everything that came within its reach and cast it into the fathomless deep. Through the midst of these crushing whirlpools, the Little Mermaid was obliged to pass before she could reach the dominion of the Sea Witch. <laughs> then, for a long distance, the road lay sh uh, across a stretch of warm, bubbling mire <laughs> called by the witch her Turf Moor. Turf Moor. Beyond this was the witch's house, which stood in the center of a strange forest where all the trees and flowers were polypi, half animals and half plants. They looked like serpents with a hundred heads growing out of the ground. The branches were long, slimy arms with fingers like flexible worms, moving limb after limb from the root to the top. All that could be reached in the sea, they seized upon and held fast so that it never escaped from their clutches. The little mermaid was so alarmed at what she saw that she stood still and her heart beat with fear. Lupped up, lupped up. She came very near turning back, but she thought of the prince uh, and of the human soul for which she longed, uh, and her courage returned. 
<sighs> she fastened her long, flowing hair around her head so that the polypi should not lay hold of it. She crossed her hands on her bosom and then darted forward as a fish shoots through the water between the supple arms and the fingers of the ugly polypi, which were stretched out on each side of her. She saw that they all held in their grasp something they had seized with their numerous little arms, which were as strong as iron bands. Tightly grasped in their clinging fingers were white skeletons of human beings who had perished at sea and had sunk down into the deep waters. Skeletons of land animals and oars, rudders, and chests of ships. There was even a little mermaid who they had caught and strangled. And this seemed the most shocking of all to the little princess. Now she came to the space of marshy ground in the wood, where large, fat water snakes were rolling in the mire and showing their ugly, drab-colored bodies. In the midst of this spot stood a house built of the bones of the shipwrecked human beings. There sat the sea witch, <laughs> allowing a toad Ribbit. to eat from her mouth Ew. just as people sometimes feed a canary with pieces of sugar. I've uh, never uh, fed a canary uh, that uh, way. Gross. <laughs> she called the ugly water snakes her little chickens and allowed them to crawl okay. all over her bosom. Okay. I know what you want, said the sea witch. <laughs> It is very stupid of you, but you shall have it your way, though. It will bring you to sorrow, my dear sweet princess. You want to get rid of your fish tail and have two supports instead like human beings on earth, so that the young prince may fall in love with you and so that you may have an immortal soul. And then the witch laughed so loud and so <laughs> disgustingly that the toad and the snake Ribbit. fell to the ground and lay there wriggling. Ribbit. You are but just in time, said the witch. For after sunrise tomorrow, I shall not be able to help you till the end of another year. I will prepare a draught for you for, with which you must swim to land tomorrow. Before sunrise, seat yourself there and drink it. Your tail will then disappear and shrink up into what men call legs. You will feel great pain as a sword were passing through you. But all who see you will say that you are the prettiest little human being they ever saw. You will still have the same floating gratefulness of movement and no dancer will ever treat so lightly every step you take however will be as if you're tending upon sharp knives ah! as if the blood must flow if you will bear all this i will help you yes i will said the little princess with a trembling voice as she thought of the prince and the immortal soul but think again <laughs> said the witch for when once shape has become like human being, you can no more be a mermaid. You will never return through the waters to your sisters or to your father's place again. And if you do not win the love of the prince so that he is willing to forget his father and mother for your sake and to your to love you with all his whole soul and allow the priest to join your hands, that you may be man and wife, 
then you will never have an immortal soul. The first morning after he marries another, your heart will break and you will become foam on the crests of the wet eaves. <laughs> I will do it, said the little mermaid, and she became pale as death. But I must be paid also, <laughs> said the witch. <laughs> And it is not a trifle that I ask. You have the sweetest voice of any who dwell here in the depths of the sea. And you believe that you will be able to charm the prince with it. But this, your voice, you must give it to me. The best thing you possess will I have as a price of my costly draft, which must be mixed with me my own blood, so that it may be as sharp as a two-edged sword. But if you take away my voice, said the little mermaid, what is left for me? <laughs> Your beautiful form. <laughs> Your graceful walk. <laughs> Your expressive eyes. Surely with these you can enchain a man's heart. We'll have you lost your courage. Put on your little tongue that I may cut it off as a payment. Then you shall have the powerful draft. It shall be, said the little mermaid. Then the witch placed her cauldron on the fire to prepare the magic draft. Cleanliness is a good thing, said she, scouring the vessel with snakes which she had tied together in a large knot. Then she pricked herself in the breast and let the black blood drop into the cauldron the steam that rose twisted itself in such horrible shapes that no one could look at them without fear every moment the witch threw a new ingredient into the vessel and when it began to boil the sound was like the weeping of a crocodile when at last the magic draft was ready it looked like the clearest water there it is for you, <laughs> said the witch. Then she cut off the mermaid's tongue oh. so that she would never again speak or sing. I wonder if the witch was being like, unnecessarily mean. Mm. She's like, yeah, I'm going to take that too. Just for funsies. If the Polly Pie should seize you as you return through the woods, said the witch. Throw over them a few drops of the potion, and their fingers will be torn and do thousands of pieces. <laughs> but the Little Mermaid had no occasion to do this, for the polypi sprang back in terror when they caught sight of the glittering draft, which shone in her hand like a twinkling star. So she passed quickly through the wood and the marsh and between the rushing whirlpools. She saw that in her father's palace the torches in the ballroom were extinguished, and that all within were asleep. But she did not venture to go into them, for now that she was dumb and going to have to leave them forever, she felt as if her heart would break. She stole into the garden, took a flower from the flower bed and of each of her sisters, kissed her hand towards the palace a thousand times, and then rose up through the dark blue waters. The sun had not risen when she came in sight of the prince's palace and approached the beautiful marble steps. But the moon shone clear and bright. When the little mermaid drank the magic draft, and it seemed as if a two-edged sword went through her delicate body, 
She fell into a swoon and lay like one dead. When the sun rose and shone over the sea, she recovered and felt a sharp pain. But before she stood, but before her stood the handsome young prince. He fixed his coal black eyes upon her so earnestly that she cast down her own and then became aware that her fish's tail was gone and that she had as pretty a pair of white legs and tiny feet as any little maiden could have. But she had no clothes, so she wrapped herself in her long, thick hair. The prince asked who she was and whence she came. She looked at him mildly and sorrowfully with deep blue eyes, but could not speak. She, he took her by the hand and led her to the palace. Every step she took was as the witch had said it would be. She felt as if she were treading upon the points of needles or sharp knives. She bore it willingly, though, however, and moved at the prince's side as lightly as a bubble, so that he and all who saw her wondered at her graceful, swaying movements. But she was very soon arrayed in costly robes of silk and muslin and was the most beautiful creature in the palace. But she was dumb and could neither speak nor sing. Beautiful female slaves dressed in silk and gold stepped forward and sang before the prince and his royal parents. One sang better than all the others, and the prince clapped his hands and smiled at her. This was a great sorrow for the little mermaid, for she knew how much more sweetly her herself once could sing. And she thought... Oh, if only he could know that I'd given my, that I'd given away my voice forever to be with him. The slaves next performed some pretty fairy-like dances <laughs> to the sound of beautiful music. <laughs> then the little mermaid raised her lovely white arms, stood on the tips of her toes, glided over the floor, and danced as no one yet had been able to dance. At each moment, her beauty was more revealed and her expressive eyes appealed more directly to the heart than the songs of the slaves. Everyone was enchanted, especially the prince, who called her his little foundling. She danced again quite readily to please him, though each time her foot touched the floor, it seemed as if she trod on sharp knives. The prince said she should remain with him always, and she was given permission to sleep at his door on a velvet cushion. Like a a dog? He had a page's dress made for her that she might accompany him on horseback. They rode together through the sweet-scented woods where the green boughs touched their shoulders, and the little birds sang among the fresh leaves. She climbed with him to the tops of high mountains, and although her tender feet bled so that every step were marked, she only smiled and followed him till they could see the clouds beneath them like a flock of birds flying in the distant lands. While at the prince's palace... And when all the household were asleep, she would go and sit on the broad marble steps, for it eased her burning feet to bathe them in the cold seawater. It was then that she thought of all those below in the deep. Once, during the night, her sisters came up arm in arm, singing sorrowfully as they floated on the water. She beckoned to them, and they recognized her and told her how she had grieved them. After that, they came to the same place every night. Once she saw in the distance her old grandmother, who had not been to the surface of the sea for many years, and the old sea king, her father, with his crown on his head. They stretched out their hands toward her, but did not venture so near the land as her sisters had. 
As the days passed, she loved the prince more dearly, and he loved her as one would love a little child. Dang it. She thought never, the thought never came to him to take her as a wife. Child zoned. Friend zoned. Yet, unless he married her, she could not receive an immortal soul. And on the morning after his marriage with another, she would dissolve into the foam of the sea. Do you not love me the best of all? The eyes of the lower maid seemed to say when he took her in his arms and kissed her fair forehead. Yes, you are dear to me, said the prince. For you have the best heart and you are the most devoted to me. You are like a young maiden whom I once saw, but whom I shall never meet again. I was in a ship that was wrecked and the waves cast me ashore near a holy temple where several young maidens performed the service. The youngest of them found me on the shore and saved my life. I saw her but twice, and she is the only one in the world whom I would love. But you are like her, and you have almost driven her image from my head, from my mind. She belongs to the holy temple, and good fortune has sent you to me in her stead. We will never part. Ah, uh, he knows not it was I who saved his life, thought the little mermaid. I carried him over the sea to the wood where the temple stands. I stand beneath the foam and watch till the human beings came to help him. I saw the pretty maiden that he loves better than me. The mermaid sighed deeply, but she could not weep. He says the maiden belongs to the holy temple. Therefore, she will never return to the world. They will meet no more. I am by his side and see him every day. I will take care of him and love him and give up my life for his sake. Very soon, it was said that the prince was to marry. Da, 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 da and that the beautiful daughter of a neighboring king would be his wife. Dang it! For a fine ship was being fitted out. Although the prince gave out that he intended merely to pay a visit to the king, it was generally supposed that he went to court the princess. A great company were to go with him. The little mermaid smiled and shook her head. She knew the prince's thoughts better than any of the others. I must travel, he had said to her. I must see this beautiful princess. My parents desire it, but they will not oblige me to bring her home as my bride. I cannot love her, because she is not like the beautiful maiden in the temple whom you resemble, my dad. If I were forced to choose a bride, I would choose you, my dumb foundling, with those expressive eyes. <laughs> then, romantic. he kissed her rosy mouth, played with her long waving hair, and laid his head on her heart while she dreamed of human happiness and an immortal soul. You're not afraid of the sea, my dumb child, are you? He said, as they stood on the deck of the noble ship, which was to carry them to the country of the neighboring king. Then he told her of storm and of calm, of strange fishes in the deep beneath them, and of what the divers had seen there. She smiled at his descriptions, for she knew better than anyone what wonders were at the bottom of the sea. In the moonlit night, when all on board were asleep, except the man at the helm, she sat on the deck, gazing down through the clear water. She thought she could distinguish her father's castle, and upon it her aged grandmother, with a silver crown on her head, looking through the rushing tide at the keel of the vessel. Then her sisters came up on the waves and gazed at her mournfully, wringing their white hands. She beckoned them and smiled, and wanted to tell them how happy and well-off she was. But the cabin boy approached, and when the sisters dived down, he thought what he saw was only the foam of the sea. 
The next morning, the ship, the ship sailed into the harbor of a beautiful town belonging to the king whom the prince was going to visit. The church bells were ringing, and from the high towers sounded a flourish of trumpets. Soldiers with flying colors and glittering bayonets lined the roads through which they passed. Every day was a festival, balls and entertainments flowing one another. But the princess had not yet appeared. People said that she had been brought up and educated in a religious house where she was learning every royal virtue. At last, she came. Then the little mermaid, who was anxious to see whether she was really beautiful, was obliged to admit that she had never seen a more perfect vision of beauty. Her skin was delicately fair, and beneath her long, dark eyelashes, her laughing blue eyes shone with truth and purity. It was you, said the prince who saved my life while I lay as if dead on the beach. And he folded his blushing bride in his arms. Oh, I am too happy, said he to the little mermaid. My fondest hopes are now fulfilled. You will rejoice at my happiness, for your devotion to me is great and sincere. The little mermaid kissed his hand and felt as if her heart were already broken. <sighs> his wedding morning would bring death to her, and she would change into the foam of the sea. All the church bells rang, ding dong, ding dong, ding, and the heralds rode through the town proclaiming the betrothal. Betrothal! Perfumed <laughs> oil was burned in costly silver lamps on every altar. The priests waved the censers while the bride and the bridegroom joined their hands and received the blessing of the bishop. The little mermaid, dressed in silk and gold, held up the bride's train, but her ears heard nothing of the festive music, and her eyes saw not the holy ceremony. She thought of the night of death which was coming to her, and of all she had lost in the world. This is so sad. On the same evening, the bride and bridegroom went on board the ship. Cannons were roaring, flags waving, and in the center of the ship, a costly tent of purple and gold had been erected. It contained elegant sleeping couches for the bridal pair during the night. The ship, under a favorable wind, with swelling sails, glided away smoothly and lightly over the calm sea. When it grew dark, a number of colored lamps were lighted, and the sailors danced merrily on the deck. The little mermaid could not help thinking of her first rising out of the sea when she had seen similar joyful festivities. So she too joined in the dance, poised herself in the air as a swallow when he pursues his prey, and all present all present cheered her wonderingly. Go, shoo-hoo! She had never danced so gracefully before. Her tender feet felt as if cut with sharp knives. But she cared not for the pain. A sharper pain had pierced her heart. <laughs> she knew this was the last evening she would ever see the prince for whom she had forsaken her kindred and her home. She had given up her beautiful voice and suffered unheard of pain daily for him while he knew nothing of it. This was the last evening that she should breathe the same air with him or gaze on the starry night and the deep sea. An eternal night without a thought or a dream, awaited her. She had no soul, and now could never win one. All was joy and gaiety on the ship until long after midnight. She smiled and danced with the rest while the thought of death was in her heart. The prince kissed his beautiful bride, and she played with his raven hair till they went arm in arm to rest in the sumptuous tent. Then all became still on board the ship, and only the pilot who stood at the helm, was awake. 
The Little Mermaid leaned her white arms on the edge of the vessel and looked toward the east for the first blush of morning, for that first ray of dawn which was to be her death. She saw her sisters rising out of the flood, but they were as pale as she, but their beautiful hair no longer waved in the wind. It had been cut off. We have given our hair to the witch, said they, to obtain help for you, that you may not die tonight. She has given us a knife, to obtain help for you, that you may not die tonight. She has given us a knife, see, it is very sharp. Before the sun rises, you must plunge it into the heart of the prince. Whoa. When the warm blood falls upon your feet, they will grow together again into a precious tail, and you will once more be a mermaid and can return to us to live out your 300 years before you are changed into the salt sea form. Haste then, either he or you must die before sunrise. Our old grandmother mourns so for you that her white hair is falling as ours fell under the witch's scissors. Kill the prince and come back. Hasten, do you not see the first red strikes in the sky? In a few minutes, the sun will rise and you must die. Then they sighed deep with <sighs> and mournfully and sank beneath the waves. The little mermaid drew back the crimson curtain of the tent and beheld the fair bride, whose head was resting on the prince's breast. She bent down and kissed his noble brow, then looked at the sky on which they on which they rose a, and on which the rosy <laughs> dawn grew brighter and brighter. She glanced at the sharp knife and again fixed her eye on the prince, who whispered the name of the bride in his dreams. She was in his thoughts, and the knife trembled in the hand of the little mermaid but she flung it far from her into the waves. The water turned red where it fell, and the drops that spurred up looked like blood. She cast one more lingering, half-fainting glance at the prince, then threw herself from the ship into the sea and felt her body dissolving. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness gracious. The sun rose above the waves, and his warm rays fell on the cold foam. And the little mermaid, who did not feel as if she were dying, she saw the bright sun and hundreds of transparent, beautiful creatures floating around her. She could see through them the white sails of the ships and the red clouds in the sky. Their speech was melodious, but could not be heard by mortal ears, just as their bodies could not be seen by mortal eyes. The little mermaid perceived that she had a body like theirs and that she continued to rise higher and higher out of the foam. Where am I? asked she, and her voice sounded ethereal, like the voices of those who were with her. No earthly music could imitate it. Among the daughters of the air, answered one of them, a mermaid has not an immortal soul, nor can she obtain one unless she wins the love of a human being. On the will of another hangs her eternal destiny. But the daughters of the air... All they do, although they do not possess an immortal soul, can, by their good deeds, procure one for themselves. We fly to warm countries and cool the sultry air that destroys mankind with the pestilence. We carry the perfume of the flowers to spread health and restoration. After we have striven for three hundred years to do all the good in our power, we receive an immortal soul and take part in the happiness of mankind. You 
poor little mermaid, have tried with your whole heart to do as we are doing. You have suffered and endured and raised yourself to the spirit world by your good deeds. And now, by striving for three hundred years in the same way, you may obtain an immortal soul. The little mermaid lift her glorified eyes towards the sun and, for the first time, felt them filling with tears. On the ship in which she had left the prince, there were life and noise, and she saw him and his beautiful bride searching for her. Sorrowfully, they gazed at the pearly foam as if they knew she had thrown herself into the waves. Unseen, she kissed the forehead of the bride and fanned the prince, and then mounted with the other children of the air to a rosy cloud that floated above. After three hundred years, thus shall we float into the kingdom of heaven, said she. And we may even get there sooner, whispered one of her companions. Unseen, we can enter the houses of men where there are children, and for every day on which we find a good child that is the joy of his parents and deserves their love, our time of probation is shortened. The child does not know when we fly through the room that we smile with joy at his good conduct, for we can count one year less of our three hundred years. But when we see a naughty or wicked child, we shed tears of sorrow, and for every tear a day is added to our time of trial. What on <laughs> earth? What? Did we copy and paste the wrong thing to the end? That there? was the end, and I'm very confused. Can we, can we go back like a couple paragraphs and just do our own? Really and quick? just end, end it ourselves. Yeah. How do you want to end it? Well, she she should have she should have thrown it into the sea. The knife. Yeah. Okay. And then and then killed the sea witch. I don't know, but that was bad. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> With a pirate ship. I hate to say it, but the D I S N E Y was much better. Yeah. I spelled it. Did you see that? Yeah. You and I did. Hey, are we doing good on 30 minutes? Well, I had to stop and start it four times, so really it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yay for power outages. Hooray! Okay, well. Uh, I feel disappointed. I as soon as I sob now. Not going to lie, as soon as you came in, Allison, I was like, wait, what is happening? I don't know. And I still am not sure. <sighs> also, the fact that the Little Mermaid was like a child to to the prince i didn't i don't think that is a good way it to was very strange describe that relationship well he well, also wasn't was, very nice he treated her like a dog but, she I mean, was she just sleep was, on a pillow on the floor 15 right 15 or 16 is that yeah but i think he is two or something even if he's 18 yeah hey man that dumb There's foundling laws. wowza that was a lot Okay, yeah. well, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks listeners. for sticking with it. If you did, I promise heavy. the next one will be better. Heavy. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Argo. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to use this to fall asleep every night. <laughs> can you, can so you um, come over and read me a bedtime story every night? Sure. Is that weird? Yeah. Wait, can we close with you doing a joke in Morgan Freeman's oh, voice? Oh, oh, here we go. Oh, well, it's sorry. time for your joke. From Morgan Freeman. This is your reward for making it through that story. <laughs> this is the secret track. This is the better ending. <laughs> oh, come on, Mr. Fiedler. Little Mermaid raised the knife up and then said, Do you want to hear a joke? <laughs> oh, Iceman.
you were you were reading over for like 20 minutes. Seriously. <laughs> I look over every couple minutes and you're laughing at your phone. <laughs> you can't remember any of the ones that he had before? I don't oh, 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 okay. I, I can remember now. Okay. 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 Morgan Freeman. Why is it that you cannot hear a parrot? <laughs> <laughs> That's a heart. Okay, we'll try it again. That was a Morgan Freeman fart. That was the best thing I've ever heard. Wait, 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 Why can't you hear a pterodactyl pee? Because the pee is silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah, it is. It would be better if you said urinate so that you don't give the punchline. Hey, I didn't. I, you know what? I read the joke like a half an hour ago. That's true. And then you said a lot of words and in between that. Lot of there okay, were a lot of seriously, words. Seriously, Mr. Feather, you got like five seconds. For what? Get him a joke, dude. <laughs> oh my God. What are you doing? <laughs> are you watching football over there? Number eight. For what? Yeah, okay, what? What here we that? go. Number, Number eight. eight. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Take us out. Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? No. Great food, no atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. Oh, Good night, everybody. Right. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.